When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, kids, folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to take on some of your questions from the Twitters, from the Instagram, from the Facebooks, from wherever we can pull questions from you in our week four mailbag episode. Got some stuff about Oklahoma, some stuff about USC, and some stuff that I want to see. I also want to touch on our last probably week to get in money in the bag, quite honestly, because we just had some news that have been breaking on Saturdays and Sundays. We haven't been able to do it, but best believe we have remembered. But first, I want to start with a story that dropped last Friday in The Athletic by my man, Sam Kahn Jr., who has the enviable role of being the tech expert at The Athletic. It means he covers the state of Texas, high school, college, going all over that great state to tell us great football stories. And he came up with a doozy last Friday as it relates to Texas Longhorns football. Some of you probably saw some of the numbers circulating around the Twitters. And I have mentioned them several times, not necessarily on the Twitters because I want to save it all for this segment on this show. A lot to go through here. So you'll know that in the month of June, your mans went into Arch Manning overdrive. We did three consecutive weeks of a three-week series about where Arch Manning should go play or commit to play college football. Took a look at Alabama, Georgia, and Texas as those were the places that he had set up official visits. Your man told you the one that makes the most sense is the University of Texas, and the University of Texas said, hey, RJ, we got you. We're going to secure a commitment from Arch Manning before the 4th of July. But the planning and the money that goes into it is always fascinating and interesting. So I want to talk about those numbers. I want to talk about what those numbers might mean. Say, what are you betting on when you spend this amount of money to get a player onto your campus to convince him to commit? And what does it mean for the future of Texas Longhorns football? So the weekend that Arch Manning was at the University of Texas, June 17th through the 19th for his official visit, that means that the University of Texas gets to pull out all of the stops. And they sure as hell did. The Manning visit, according to The Athletic, cost 280 grand for the nine recruits plus Arch that were attending for that weekend. This is actually on par with what Texas does normally for their official visitors because the next week, June 24th, they had 14 recruits. They spent $350,000. 12 players from that group committed to the Longhorns, including Te uh, Arch Manning to Texas, right? So $630,000 in total over two weekends is investing in recruiting. More than half a million dollars or the price of a really, really nice house in Tulsa an okay house in Austin, and one in Inglewood in California. I don't even know how y'all get down over there in California, man. I'd be looking at y'all housing market. I'd be like, damn, 
I can't afford to do that. And I do this for a living. All right. So on top of that 630,000, what does that actually mean? Okay. It means that Texas spent $1.275 million and change over the 2019 fiscal year on recruiting, right? That's uh, before the plague stopped everything, changed the way that we do business, sped up a lot of the economics, got us into a recession, I want to say like three years earlier, but I don't want to turn this into an episode of The Atlantic while we're talking to you know you about The Athletic. But you know, because I'm just that far away from the PhD that I would love to go there. Look, highlights from that weekend that Arch was in town, June 14th through the 17th, include a trip that, well, I should start with this. You stayed at the Four Seasons, okay? So I looked it up because I was in Austin, Texas, staying at a very nice Marriott. And I was like, what does it cost to stay at the Four Seasons? A grand a night. Let me say that again. It cost a grand a night to stay at the Four Seasons. Remember, it ain't just the boys that is coming. It's the boys and their parents and their siblings and whomever else they want to have on their official visit to the University of Texas. All right. They also got a photo shoot. At Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium, I will never get over the fact that the University of Texas's home football field, or I should say its football stadium, is named after an Oklahoma Sooner. Because y'all remember that DKR actually graduated from the University of Oklahoma before he gave y'all all that luxury that you have down there in Austin, including those national championships that you got to, you know, take part in, like, say, 1969, so forth, so on. Also, the recruitment of Earl Campbell. Oklahoma's given Texas a lot, I guess, is the point that I'm making here. They also got to have a trip uh, to the driving range at Top Golf. I've been out to Top Golf. It's not inexpensive, but it's by far not the most expensive thing on this list. And they had lavish meals and breakfasts at Steve Sarkeesian's home. So number one on this is somebody somewhere, shout out to this parent because this parent has my whole heart, ordered a shot of Johnny Walker Blue while on this visit and had the University of Texas pay for it. For those of you that are uninitiated, that's about... I want to say $70 a glass, like for, for this much. Yo, man, if you got it, go spend it. Use other people's money. Be about other people's money. You know, like hedge fund managers everywhere. Steve Sarkeesian does not live in a small home as he is the head coach at the flagship university in the state of Texas. Now, that also means that Steve Sarkeesian is one of the richest public employees, not just the state of Texas, but in the United States as it pertains to, you know, universities and I can only imagine how much money they spent on breakfast at Steve Sarkeesian's home. Shout out to L'Oreal Sarkeesian who throws up that dynasty sign as we're going to throw up the hooks over here. If you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. Now, what I find most interesting about all of this is that the University of Texas does not spend the most amount of money on recruiting. By far, it doesn't. Matter of fact, University of Texas and Texas A&M consistently are two of the top five programs when it comes to generating funds overall in revenue every single year, okay? It keeps getting close. I want to say it's close to $250 million that those programs bring in each year. Now, University of Georgia spends 3.67 thousand, let me say this again, $3.67 million on recruiting, okay? That was the 2019 fiscal year. Texas is 13th on that list. Say this again, University of Georgia spends $3.6 million in change, call it 3.7, in 2019 on recruiting. Texas spent 1.275. All to say that it is not a small amount of money to you and I that Texas spent on this, but it is by far not enough money to compete with the likes of Georgia 
And you've seen what that has meant for Georgia. It means that they get to be in the college football playoff and play for national championship and then win one as they are the defending national champions. Also to me, it means that University of Texas could actually up its game. And that is saying something as the University of Texas does recruit very, very, very well, but not necessarily on par with Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State or even Oklahoma in some instances. And that's at a state like Georgia, which does not have the price of living in, say, Austin, right? Unless you live in, on Augusta National, and nobody's living on Augusta National because it's Augusta National, you just aren't playing in the same sandbox there. Now, if you spend this amount of money on a recruiting visit where you know the number one player in the country, also last name manager, is coming to see you, what are you investing in is the very important question. So let's take that 280 grand that was spent on the weekend for Arch Manning to visit the University of Texas. Vince Young beat USC, vaunted USC, unbeatable USC, with Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, the whole deal, 2005, 41-38. That same year, Reggie won the Heisman Trophy. I submit to you, what would it look like if the University of Texas had also added a Heisman Trophy winner in Vince Young to its national championship season in 2005? Well, we got a little bit to go on there. And it goes back to when Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy 2012, right? How much money did Texas A&M bring in the year after Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy 2013? From alumni donations alone, Texas A&M brought in $750 million. Now, that is the top-line thought for an Arch Manning on an individual award, right? bringing in that amount of money. Then add to that, you are the agricultural and mechanical college. You are not the flagship. You are state school. You are not the school. What happens if Johnny Manziel was playing at Texas and won the Heisman? And then what happens if Johnny Manziel was playing at Texas and won the Heisman National Championship? You get an amalgamation of Johnny Manziel and Vince Young at the University of Texas. That is a license to print money. So there, this, is, this is a drop in the bucket is what I'm saying here. 280 grand for three days. Where you're gambling on, hey, if he's real good, we will make this back 20, 30 times over because that's also 2013 money they made $750 million. What does that look like now as we're in rising inflation, like unstoppable inflation? Everything costs more and nobody sees an end in sight to everything costing more. When you can have a Manning win you a national championship and a Heisman Trophy. Probably the closest thing we get to look at right now is what Alabama is doing. And we won't know what Alabama's fiscal year looks like the year after Bryce Young wins the Heisman Trophy until next year. But I'm very curious to find out what that is. All to say, as much money as they seem to have spent and have spent compared to what you and I make or what you and I think someone else ought to make or how much money is actually getting spent. Yo, man, it's nothing. So money well spent to the University of Texas as they got the commitment and they're building on that. And then they played Alabama close and got ranked off of playing Alabama closely. Texas got ranked off a loss. I love this sport. Okay. It ain't as if they come out winning in a way that say, well, transition the money in the bag. Eh, eh, eh. They got, got $1.5 million that they pay, or $1 million that they paid to Alabama to come, and it's going, you know, they're going to share that money back when they go to Brian Denny. In our money in the bag segment, that ain't what happens. What happens is, you pay a school that is usually a division below you, but sometimes just outside of your Power 5 conference to come in and take a whooping. And every now and again, we get somebody that says, we ain't going to take no whooping. 
Okay. So my good friends over at College Football on Fox, shout out to Fran and Alex Cowart, Fran Silver. Seven FCS teams have beaten an FBS team so far this year. And your mans went to go look up as many of those FCS teams as he could find numbers for. And some group of five play uh, coach, uh, coaches, some group of five teams that also beat up FBS teams and got paid. So allow me with no further ado to go through Money in the bag, week four, college football. Okay. It's not just that Eastern Michigan beat Arizona State 30 to 21. It's that the Sun Devils paid $1.5 million for the privilege. It's not just that William and Mary beat Charlotte, not good Charlotte, but Charlotte 41 24. It's that Charlotte paid $300,000 for the privilege. It's not just that Eastern Kentucky beat Bowling Green 59 to 57. It's that Bowling Green paid $350,000 for the privilege. It's not just that Tulane beat Kansas State in Manhattan. It's that the Wildcats paid $300,000 for the privilege. It's not just that incarnate word, beat Nevada 55-41. It's that Nevada paid the fighting G.J. Kenny's $350,000, oh, excuse me, $300,000 for the privilege. It's not just that Weber State beat Utah State 35-7. to it's that Utah State paid $390,000 for the privilege. It's not just that Southern Illinois, directional Illinois, beat Northwestern, directional, directional, 31-24. It's that the Wildcats paid $550,000 for the privilege. It's not just that Georgia Southern beat Nebraska 45 to 42. It's that the Huskers paid $1.423 million for the privilege. Charlotte, Bowling Green, Kansas State, Arizona State, Nevada, Utah State, Northwestern, and Nebraska. You've been had. I said you've been took. I said you've been hoodwinked bamboozled, let us stray, run amok. This is what he does. William and Mary, Eastern Kentucky, Tulane, Eastern Michigan, Incarnate Word, Weber State, Southern Illinois, Georgia Southern. Put the shimmy in the shag. Charlotte, Bowling Green, Kansas State, Arizona State, Nevada, Utah State, Northwestern, and the once mighty Nebraska. Put the money in the bag. Look here. I love that segment. And I'm glad that y'all keep scheduling these teams, paying them a lot of money to hold this right here. All right. Now, let's go from money in the bag to we out ya. And to facilitate we out you, want to bring in producer Tyler Wojak. Producer Tyler, how you doing, man? I'm doing well today. Uh, John Marcus said nice haircut. John Marcus is our director, and I told him I haven't had a haircut in probably three weeks. Uh, I guess my hair looks good today on camera, so I'm feeling good. Appreciate the compliment. 
Hey, man, not, I get my haircut every Tuesday at noon for this show, so I'm excited about it. What we got on the docket? All right, so first off, I have to say we did not get a ton of listener-submitted questions this week, so I hope that everyone watching and listening will be a little bit more active for the mailbag episode next week. So we'll start with a question from you. You asked, is Oklahoma headed back to the college football playoff? I don't see why not. I mean, the performance they put down against Nebraska told us a lot. Number one, they are efficient, and they're better defensively than they have been in the past five years. The thing that I would take away from the offense is that Dylan Gabriel still has not thrown an interception this year, and they start their conference schedule off with Kansas State this weekend. I expect it to be smooth sailing up until they play Texas, which might be for a spot in the Big 12 championship game. What do you think? Yeah, I really like what I've seen from the Sooners so far. I like Brent Venables, and I think it's been really impressive how this team has sort of embraced his identity and what he wants for a football team. I'm still in a little bit of a wait-and-see mode, though, because so far this season, Oklahoma's opponents have combined for just one win so far. Um, That was Nebraska's win over the Fighting Hawks of North Dakota. So I'm going to wait and see until after the Red River game, and then I'll start talking Oklahoma as a playoff team. Is that fair? No, it's not because Notre Dame is bad and Ohio State ain't beat nobody but Notre Dame. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is about Oklahoma. You said Notre Dame, not me. How many combined wins? That's all I'm saying. If we're going to use the combined win tally, let's use it on everybody. That's all I'm saying. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. All right, let's get to our uh, first response, though. This one comes from Germs. Germs says, yeah, let's wait until we... I assume Germs is an Oklahoma fan. Uh, Yeah, let's wait until we actually face a team with both a good offense and a good defense before we make that call. So this is an Oklahoma fan seeming to pump the brakes a little bit. How do you feel about it? I feel like we ought to take a page out of Michigan's handbook and just say why. I mean, more on that later, but I'm I'm changing how I view conference schedules because I feel like I'm just making myself look lame here for wanting good college football to be played in a non-conference schedule. And really, that ain't what it's about. But I understand what he means. He doesn't want to get his hopes up because, frankly, all we do is go to get go to the college football playoff and then get waxed. Or go to play a game that I no longer remember that we lose in double overtime in Pasadena. But, you know, I digress. Yeah, the selective amnesia there. I appreciate that. Now let's move on to the next response. This one comes from uh, Andrew Holskin. Andrew says, I can't make a case for somebody other than them to have that number four ranking. They got better with Riley leaving and Brent Venables taking over there. So I think he has a fair point about not really having any other team to rank higher than them. But what do you think about that second part there, RJ? I think it's still spicy, man. Like It's one of the things that has not changed since November of 2021. Oklahoma fans still feel some kind of way about Lincoln Riley heading to USC. And I think it's sort of unfair at this point to say that they got better with Brent Venables, they are a different football team and their strengths are different. They're, they're much more balanced on both sides of the field. But look here, man, he started undefeated. And frankly, outside of that Houston game, we, I mean, that's 2016. So that's not even 2017. We're talking about Lincoln Riley getting off to a very fast start too. It's really just one or two games here and there. And Brent Venables is going to have his share of one or two games. It's about how Oklahoma fans are going to react to those one or two losses that he may or may not sustain this year. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's certainly spicy. And like as a college football fan, I have no affiliation with either team, although I don't like USC. I pretty much said so on this show uh, because I'm a Notre Dame fan. But I I want those two teams to play this year or next year, just sometime in the near future when this sort of pettiness and spiciness is at an all-time high. But that's a good segue 
to our next question here. This one comes from you again. Um, you asked, if USC began Big Ten play in the Big Ten East with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and others this season, how would the Trojans finish? So I'll just ask it to you. How, how do you think they would finish? You know, I looked at this because the Big Ten East is 20-1 and one after non-conference play. The one loss coming, uh, Washington, right? Upset. I say upset Michigan State, but the Vegas had them winning that game. And then I looked at, you know, the Big Ten East, which is lopsided. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, <laughs> Rutgers, and Maryland are undefeated. I think a four spot is kind of on par with what I would suspect. I know three spot because I'm not sure what I could expect from a Lincoln Riley offense against a Manny Diaz defense yet. That one would intrigue me, but I'm thinking three or four in there. And it really depends on which Michigan do we get? Do we get the Michigan that's been beaten up on everybody or do we get the Michigan that somehow finds a way to lose a game that they should probably win? Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point. And uh, that actually leads us to our first response here. This one comes from Joel Klatt who says fourth seems a little low. Uh, Joel being verbose in, in that, uh, but also, <laughs> yo, a four, really? Okay. Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that the order that he might think they finish, but it's also interesting in that we've seen a lot from the offense at USC. And if you've been watching USC football, like I have, you're still questioning whether or not the defense has an identity, which is a right of Alex Grinch's defense at Ohio state at Oklahoma. Now at USC they have moments where they feel like they can be outstanding. I'll think of those three interceptions return for touchdowns against Rice, but then you're not going to play pasta every week. You're actually going to have to play some of this pretty damn good from time to time. And Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State this year, pretty damn good. So I'm thinking he's not out of, out of line there at all. I think that's actually a level-headed take, which is Joel, right? Quintessential Joel is to be level-headed. Yeah, Joel, friend of the program, really quickly, while we're on the topic of USC, I feel like I need to address something because I saw it in the comments. Um, a couple weeks ago, I may or may not have said that USC would definitely lose to Notre Dame come November. That was before Notre Dame lost to Marshall and before Tyler Buckner suffered a season-ending injury. So I might might end up being wrong there. Big of me to admit I could be wrong. Uh, but anyway, I think USC is really good. Um, I actually was at their game against Fresno State this past weekend. Their offense can uh, keep up with anyone. So as it pertains to this question, I actually think they would finish second or third, uh, definitely behind Ohio State, maybe behind Michigan like you. I don't know what to make of this Michigan team, but the thing with USC right now is they're 88th in the country in opponent rush yards per game. They are So far, they've given up an average of 177 a game to Rice, Stanford, and Fresno State. So I don't know how you could do that and, and be at the top of the Big Ten, but that's just me. Moving on to our next response here. This one comes from another friend of the program, Jeff Schwartz, who says they would never lose. So <laughs> he's like somewhere in the middle of uh, or somewhere at the other end of the spectrum between Joel and you and I. Uh, Pac-12 Jeff coming through. That's what that is. That man does a Pac-12 radio show and is from L.A. I can understand if there's a bit of bias there, but also Jeff is absolutely making a joke there because of course he expects them to be competitive, but no one would expect them to show up and win the big 10. Although that would be one hell of a story. You also touched on a couple of things there that I think are interesting. One of which is they can't stop anybody and run the football. I was looking at the Fresno state game, right? Jordan Mims quietly goes 15 rushes for 114 yards. Guess what they got everywhere in the big 10. Like you mentioned backs and you know what y'all you have to do to stop Lincoln Riley, right? People say drop eight. And I think that's just shade. I think if you can hold the football and that's what Je what Jeff Tedford was trying to do, he just didn't have the offense that was capable of 
acting out that strategy. You're going to face better competition where they're able to do that, and your defense has to be able to get after it. But that's a fun one that I just I thought about because, well, at one point or another, I actually had to answer these questions on a show. So I'm grateful to know that that one was entertaining to you, if nobody else, Tyler. It was entertaining to me. And on the topic of Jeff, let's bring up his alma mater, the Oregon Ducks, with a big win this past weekend. And on Saturday, you tweeted this out to your followers. Is Oregon that good or is Georgia that much better? How do you feel about it? I think Georgia's that much better because they're just stomping everybody. And it's not even close. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I heard people saying, hey, this would be the perfect season for a 12-team playoff. I'm like, mm, no, no, ah, this is not that. Mm-mm. This is a bowl alliance season. This is one in which the voters could probably get this one right, at least at the top. We'll have some consternation, some concern, some misjudgments, some misgivings about two, three, four. We will not about the number one team in the country and who ought to win a national championship because Oregon turns out not a bad football team actually might win the Pac-12 championship. We don't know yet. What we do know is that Georgia stopped a mud hole in an Oregon team that stopped a mud hole in a BYU team that's really damn good. And that should be terrifying to everybody. Shout out Kent State. They get Georgia this weekend. They're 0-16 against the SEC. Good luck to you, fellas. The Golden Flashes. Hold it down for us all. Taking that beating. Yeah, good luck to the boys at Kent State. I will say, give props to Oregon. That was a nice win over BYU. Uh, they were favored, so technically they did what they were supposed to do. But uh, Georgia is just on a different level this year. If you go back to the start of last season, they're beating teams by an average of 33 points a game and somehow they look even hungrier this year. Even though last year is when it felt like they had everything to prove and now they knocked off Alabama so now they're confident and they're running on this high. Watch out for Kentucky. Um, It's in Lexington this year. Kentucky's a really hungry team but if Kentucky can't make that a game. I don't think Georgia is going to have one game where they don't win by at least two touchdowns until the SEC championship. Is that hey, a little crazy to say, or do you Kentucky see that a game last year too, going right? the same. like that? Right. Cause like Kentucky had Chris Rodriguez last year. Kinda. They a game. They have, okay. Yeah. Well, Hey, look, I'm just, I'm <laughs> looking for opportunities to say somebody like you could give Georgia something like a run. And I guess right now we're betting on Kentucky in a way that we're not betting on Florida, which is just fascinating to me. And then we're talking about a loose Georgia, like talking about being hungrier. I'm just saying they're spinning the ball. They like Stetson Bennett looks like he expects to win the Heisman Trophy. Like he was Bryce Young last year and not like Bryce Young was Bryce Young last year. That's fascinating to me. I've never seen Kirby Smart with an offense that wants to put up 500 yards a game because I didn't think that Kirby Smart was built to be able to put up 500 yards a game. I thought he would actually puke on the sideline because he's such a defensive minded coach. Just wants to run the ball and stay away from everybody. But it turns out, no, that's just Mark Stoops now because Kirby looked over at Nick and said, if Nick is going to do that, I'm going to do that. And now, again, going back to the top of the show, they have recruited like they can do anything they want. That, Tyler, I wish all of us could recruit the way that Georgia recruits because then all of us would get to feel like Georgia does right now, which is kind of like we are literally, what is it? What Rob Schneider in bench warmers. That is how Georgia feels to me right now. Wow. Did not expect a bench warmers reference, but I see it. And the only reason I said kind of with the Kentucky game last year is because Mark Stoops was actively calling timeouts with time just like ticking down just so that Kentucky would get the cover. So respect him, but I think it's time we should bring in our first response. This one comes from at CFB Blueprint, who says, kind of like what we're saying here, Georgia is just that much better than everyone. 
So that includes Alabama. Do you are you feeling the same way? Do you think there's a significant gap between them and Alabama? Yeah, because I saw Alabama play Texas, and I think Texas is good. The rest of y'all think Texas is bad, but still, Texas ought to have won that game. Everybody that watches that game says they ought to have won that game. That is the gap, right? Like, if, if the gap I, – I made this reference on the show earlier in the week. I'll make this reference again. The, fir- ter- the first four spots in everybody's rankings ought to go to Georgia. That's how I feel about it right now. <laughs> Number five, Ohio State. Number six, Alabama. Eh, or interchangeable, depending on where you want to go this year or that year or this week or that week. But right now, it doesn't feel like anybody's getting in Georgia's way. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see to the SEC championship. But I do want to bring in one more response. This one comes from at Ronnie DC 9 who says, BYU is overrated. Oregon is really good, but teams are at their worst week one. Georgia was slightly underrated because nobody thought they can reload like Bama after the draft, which they can. The main point I want to focus on here is he said, but teams are at their worst week one. If Georgia's performance against Oregon was them at their worst, I don't even want to know what their best looks like because that is a terrifying thought. I go both ways on that one, which is say I understand what he means and that people haven't hit each other, not for real, and they've been beating up on each other if they have been. And you're still getting to understand who can do what and how in game environment, game conditions. Matter of fact, Derek Johnson gave this to me when we did our feature in Austin. Said, look, we didn't know Vince Young was Vince Young until he started playing because quarterback, practice, you don't really know what you have. And then that dude is out there making people look stupid and bad. I'm not so much inclined to say that they will look their worst in week one because I know the injuries happen to everybody. Okay? So if you are injured at week five, six, seven, eight, you're probably not going to be as good as you were week one. You're probably going to want to be as good as you were week one. I think it's really about right now, this first conference week, when we're about to see people at their best and see if they can sustain that. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's always something to consider. They're college-age kids. It's a long season. Maybe one week they get bored by beating every team by 40, and then they only win a game by 17 or something like that. But before we go here, I have two questions for you that I want to wrap up with. Uh, My first one, uh, and this is Maryland-Michigan Fox Big New Kick this weekend. Does Maryland have what it takes to challenge Michigan in their first Power 5 matchup of the season? What do you think? They have what it takes, which is saying something because Colorado State, UConn, Hawaii did not. That said, I'm going to let Gray Thompson on the Twitters do my light work here. This is from a quote tweet he had about me talking about Michigan and how much further ahead and what the margin of victory was supposed to be for them. said, Michigan covered all three of their games, spreads that were 45 or more points. Last year, they were 15-point favorites when they played the Terps. They won that game 59-18. to This week, it started three touchdowns. It's slowly shrinking. For me, I want to know if this game is a harbinger of what's to come from Michigan because then we kind of get to take them seriously in a way that I've just been reluctant to take them seriously. You go drop 59 on Maryland again, I'm inclined to believe that you can win the Big Ten championship again because that's how it looked last year. Maryland gives you a game in Ann Arbor. I think we would all be within our rights to question whether or not Michigan is a top five, let alone a top four team. Yeah, I see what you mean there. And Maryland obviously is a great quarterback, but the rest of the team, I'm just not so sure. Uh, They needed to come back and win in the fourth quarter last week against SMU, and they looked really sloppy. I think they committed 15 penalties, had two turnovers. You're just not going to be able to do that against a veteran team like Michigan, especially in the big house. So to be honest, even though 
I agree. I, I don't really know what to make of Michigan at this point. I think Michigan is going to win pretty easily and even cover the spread, which is, I believe it's 17 right now, according to Fox Bet. So every week it seems like they have another big spread. But so far, like Color Gray said, they've covered every single time. I also would like to add a note as you and I kind of talk about this in texting, but I went and looked at stuff. Michigan paid $1.8 million to Colorado State, $1.9 million to Hawaii, $1.8 million to UConn, $5.5 million for their non-conference slate. Two things on that. The first is all of those games were negotiated in the last year, which is another way of saying if you want to get a game on the schedule, you can get a game on the schedule. The next thing to take away from that is only you and I seem to care about that, Tyler. The people that actually root for Michigan don't care that they're beaten up on teams that are not even in their league, literally. They only care that when they look up in December, it's going to say nine or ten wins, and you can fundraise off of that. While you and I will yell that they ain't played nobody, the fact of the matter is only rival fans and media care that you played somebody. Hence me going, you know what, I'm just going to give up on this whole non-conference angle and the way that I gave up on a 16-team playoff and yelling about how the ranking should work being undefeated because people frankly just don't care. They just want to win. They want to win week to week. They don't care about what happened last week. They care about what's going to happen this week. And they care about the win loss column. After that, they can give a damn. So if you're Michigan, you did the right thing because only I am pissed at you for not playing anybody. Everybody else sees three and oh, ranks you number four in the country. I will say I've seen a little bit more reaction lately because people are kind of like, okay, Michigan starts big 10 play and they look back like, wait a second, who did they play? And by the way, you said, what, five and a half million? That's a lot for three non-conference games. Now you could save some money playing a quality opponent. Usually that's free. All right, let's move on from Michigan to Michigan State here. Uh, can Michigan bounce, or can Michigan State bounce back after the disappointing loss to Washington and knock off a surging Minnesota team? No. I love Mel Tucker, but no. Uh, one, I've been beating the drum for Minnesota in such a way that everybody wants to yell at me for having Minnesota at number 10. They're also 3-0. They also played Colorado, which is one more power five team than Michigan played. But here's one that I really think is fascinating and interesting the way I'll go with this. The number one team in the country in rushing is Air Force. They run triple option, okay? They got 316 yards a game. You know number two? Minnesota at 312 and a half. That's not a flex bone offense. It's not triple option. It's not option option. It's not power I. It's got Tanner Morgan throwing the football, but also more importantly, the best tailback your side national college football commentator doesn't tell you about or tells you not to worry about. Me, Jermaine, is trying to tell you Mo Ibrahim has been on this thing for three years. 12 consecutive games of 100 yards or more, and he went for over 200 against Colorado. The way that they run inside zone is unlike anybody else runs inside zone, and you're probably going to get torched by it because I've seen him do it year after year after year. And now they got the band back together. The team that won 11 games had Kurt Soraka, P.J. Fleck, Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim. Kurt Soraka took another job. Came back 2022. The band is back together, and they are 3-0 and marching. That is my pick to win the Big Ten West, and I'm sorry that it's got to be back-to-back for Michigan State, but that's just the way it's going to go this year because I just don't see anybody also scoring on that Joe Rossi defense. One day, we're going to look back on this, and we're going to say, yo, R.J. was on to something with Minnesota. Maybe not today. But that is where I think we should leave it. Um, Minnesota's favored by two and a half on the road. Also, you know, the last team that was favored against Michigan State won. I bet against Washington. Washington made me look bad. All right. My thanks, as always, to producer Tyler for absolutely going into the tweets and into the Instagram to pull out fascinating questions. I also would like to add 
Y'all can send questions too. We don't have to keep using my questions on the show. If you have questions that you want us to discuss or answer, submit them to We Out You. We're putting out questions all the time because, well, that's how I think and that's how I like to talk about the sport. I like to know how you think, how you talk about the sport. All right. Our lead producer is Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. John Marcus is our director. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Rachel Cohen is our lead of screening. And I'm the host, RJ Young. We will see y'all on Saturday. Deuces.